Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. You ready to dig into Hebrews? This is a good study, isn't it? I've appreciated the uh, the encouragement along the way. I know a lot of you love this book, so it's glad to have you with us. Keith and Rob and Lewis and Ken and Dale, good to have you here. Uh, by the way, uh, just a reminder, the new NCST course, that is the New Covenant School of Theology, starts tonight. It's not too late. You can still sign up to audit uh, if you'd like and uh, go to newcovenantschooloftheology.org. There's a link in the show notes, excuse me. And uh, we'd love to have you join us for those uh, those courses. Glad to have you with us. Um, it seemed like there was something else I was going to tell you, but it has escaped my mind. So let's get on into it. So we're in Hebrews chapter 9, and I was thinking back to what we covered last week and pondering uh, some of chapter 9 just this morning, and I thought, can you imagine being a Jewish father in the first century? If you have had children, even if you're not a father, if you've been around young kids at all and had any supervision of them, especially, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kind of thing, what, are the, what do they ask all the time? You know, why? Why this? Why that? Why that over there? And I was thinking, what would it be like to be a... Jewish father, and uh, say you live in Jerusalem, and you're you're taking your son along with the animals to be sacrificed, and you know you've you've been raising this animal, then you you bring it to uh, the priest, or you know it's a newborn lamb kind of thing, you bring it to the priest, uh, or maybe you bring some of your first crops, and you are, your son says, uh, you know, why dad, why are we doing this? Well, uh, because we have sinned against God and we need to offer a sacrifice. Why? <laughs> because God says that, you know, these animals will, will bring forgiveness for our sins. Well, why? Why are we giving him our produce? Why, why, why does an animal make God forgive us? You can imagine the kinds of questions and difficulty it would be to explain some of that, wouldn't it? Maybe you would get sophisticated and say, well, uh, God is taking the animal in our place, right? We should die, but, the, but God's going to take, take an animal instead of our death. And then, of course, what's the kid going to ask? Does that mean we're not going to die? Well, no, we're still going to die. So <laughs> did the animal actually accomplish anything? And, and who's that guy? Well, it's a priest. Why? You know what I mean? Can you imagine trying to answer those questions? And then he looks over at the, at the temple area and says, what's in that building? And he says, oh, that's the Holy of Holies. That's where God lives. Oh, can we go see him? No. Why? Because we're sinners. But I thought you said... The animals cause God to forgive us. Those are some hard questions. I, I, I think it would be very difficult for a father to try to explain these things to those incessant why questions. And then imagine you stopped offering those sacrifices. You stopped taking the animals to the temple. And your son says, why? Why aren't we doing that anymore? You say, well... Remember that guy that came and told us about Jesus? 
and Jesus died on our on the cross for our sins and he's not dead anymore he came back to life and now you're trying to explain why Jesus's death brings forgiveness and i can imagine that child growing up and maybe yourself kind of wondering why did god need to send his son to die on the cross if he had established this whole priestly system and sacrificial system to bring forgiveness and atonement and so on. Now that you understand Jesus actually accomplished that, why that whole old covenant system that couldn't actually get it done? Well, that's what the writer of Hebrews has been explaining to these people who come to Christ and now they're being tempted to go back to the old covenant ways and he's reminding them that old system had a purpose but it couldn't accomplish the goal of forgiveness and righteousness and sanctification and all of those things. Look at what he says in chapter uh, chapter 9, excuse me, verse 6. Now when these things have been so prepared, what things? Well, the all the stuff that's in the holy place and the holy of holies, the outer tabernacle, the lampstand, the, the, the bread, the altar, all this. Stuff. When these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, that's the holy of holies, only the high priest enters once a year, not without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. And we'll come back and look at that concept here in a minute. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol. Do you remember what this word symbol is? Remember I told you last week? Somebody tell me in the chat here that you remember what this, what this uh, Greek word for symbol here is. While the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both the gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience since they relate only to food and drink and various washings regulations for the body or literally the flesh imposed until a time of reformation yep y'all got it very good parable the outer tabernacle this whole business of the priesthood and sacrifices and temple tabernacle all that it's a parable for the present time, for the for the the new age, the new covenant age, the the end of the age, all those the time of Jesus, it was an illustration. But all of these external things could be given to the body, could do something for the body, the flesh, but they couldn't. <coughs> excuse me, couldn't make the worshiper. Um, <coughs> Couldn't, couldn't bring their conscience to that uh, position of fulfillment, of uh, reaching that goal. And that begs the question, doesn't it? Why? Why? Well, that's it. It was a parable. It was an illustration. It was a picture of what was coming. We see the same thing a little bit later in chapter 9, verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. But the heavenly th things themselves with better sacrifices than these. You see that? So all of this uh, stuff in the tabernacle was cleansed with the blood of the animals. 
But those things were just copies. The earthly tabernacle was a copy of the thing in heaven. The real tabernacle, the place where God really does dwell. So our, uh, our hypothetical father who says, you know, God lives in that building, that's not exactly true. God doesn't live in any building. He's not actually in there. That's a copy. That's a, that's a picture of the real most holy place where God does dwell. The earthly copy had to be cleansed with the blood of animals, but there had to be a better sacrifice, different blood for the heavenly cleansing. The heavenly things themselves needed to be cleansed with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands. He didn't enter the temple or tabernacle in Jerusalem, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was that he would offer himself often as the high priest. In other words, he didn't have to be sacrificed again and again and again, contrary to Catholicism. He enters the holy place year by year with blood that's not his own. And we'll come back to this in a minute. So anyway, the point is, imagine being that uh, that first century father having to explain all this. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is why. We have copies, we have pictures. But the real thing is in heaven. And that's where Jesus went. And he entered into that place and he sacrificed himself so that we could be cleansed in our conscience, as he's going to go on to say. All right, so we'll, we'll talk more about that tomorrow. I want to go back to this business of the unintentional uh, sin. That's fascinating. Uh, let me find it here again, just to read it. So, you know, here we go. Um, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship, but into the second, only the high priest. So again, the Holy of Holies, not without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Which raises the question, what about the sins that were not committed in ignorance? Did the sacrifices do anything for those sins? Were there sacrifices? Again, our, our proverbial father explaining to his son that uh, God would accept the death of these animals in the place of the, the man who deserved to die, uh, the sinner. And then, you know, the boy thinks about some Jew that was executed for his sin What's the question he's going to ask? Why was he stoned to death? Did he not bring a sacrifice? Why didn't he just bring an animal and, and not have to be killed himself? Now the father's got to explain, well, he did it intentionally, maybe. Uh, it, it just raises some interesting questions. Now, this idea of unintentional sin, someone put a comment and uh, said that an example of this would be what the Romans did to Jesus. Maybe... Jesus does say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think he's talking about the Romans there. Uh, but at least in this context, it's the Jews because this is part of the law. So I don't know if that uh, Roman application is, is a good one or not. So we have both in Numbers and Leviticus, we have some description of what to do with unintentional sin. So let's take a look at it. Starting in uh, Numbers chapter 15. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land where I bring you, then it shall be that when you eat of the food of the land, you shall lift up an offering to the Lord. 
of the first of your dough, you shall lift up a cake as an offering, as the offering of the threshing floor, so you shall lift it up. From the first of your dough, you shall give to the Lord an offering throughout your generations. But when you unwittingly fail and do not observe all these commandments, which the Lord has spoken to you, uh, spoken to Moses. And remember, we looked at the, the, uh, the curses of the covenant. God insisted they keep all of his commandments or else they would be cursed. Well, here he says, when you unwittingly fail to keep all these covenants even or commandments, even all the Lord has commanded you through Moses from the day when the Lord gave the commandment onward throughout your generations, then it shall be if it is done unintentionally. And then we get this qualifying phrase here, without the knowledge of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one bull for a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and its drink offering according to the ordinance and one male goat for a sin offering. So here God is saying if you do it unintentionally and, and the congregation is unaware of it, then you bring these animals to be sacrificed. Then the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the sons of Israel and they shall be for, or will be forgiven for it was an error they have brought their offering and offering by the fire to the Lord and their sin offering before the Lord for their error. So all the congregation of the sons of Israel will be forgiven with the alien who sojourns among them for it happened to all the people through error. Also, if one person sins unintentionally, then he shall offer a one-year-old female goat for sin offering. The priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him that he may be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the sons of Israel and for the alien who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything defiantly, and that's in the Hebrew, it's, uh, you may be aware it's uh, with a high hand, whether he is native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. So do you read that as though all the laws that God gave to Israel, if the person is unaware that something is a sin, and the congregation is unaware, then there are offerings that are uh, acceptable there. But if they know the law and then commit the sin and, and their, their attitude is defiant, then the offering doesn't uh, cover it and they need to be uh, executed. Is that how you read it? I'm curious. Uh, Peter says a sin offering was for unintentional sins only. A guilt offering covered some deliberate sins. It was Yom Kippur uh, that removed all the sins and transgressions on the second goat. Uh, yeah, you're insisting on that second goat thing on you because you're going to do anything you can to uh, get away from uh, penal substitution. But we'll uh, we'll see if that holds up through the, the rest of Hebrews. Anyway. Uh, is that what it says here? So you're saying Yom Kippur removed all the sins? Uh, certainly here. Uh, well, let's, let's continue on in numbers here. Now, while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. 
Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, this man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as the Lord had commanded. Interesting that there's no indication here. There's no trial to see whether this man knew about the prohibition of picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Seems to me like that would be an important part of the story. Uh, Seems like they ought to say, well, did he know? Could he have known? But here the consequences are immediately take him out and stone him, not offer a sacrifice. Don't wait till Yom Kippur so that God would forgive this man's sin. Take him out right now. Uh, Peter, I'm curious how you would answer that. If Yom Kippur removes all the sins on the second goat, then why wasn't this man's sins covered? Was it just a matter of timing? If he had picked up the stones on the day of Yom Kippur, he'd be okay. But since it wasn't the Day of Atonement, then he has to be executed. How, how does that work? Um, this is this is interesting. It raises all kinds of questions. Uh, could any Jew at any time plead, I didn't know? Um, we certainly don't see this guy doing that. We get uh, some more of this in Leviticus chapter 4. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel saying, If a person sins unintentionally in any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and commits any of them, if the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people, so the priest, his sin, can bring guilt on the people, then let them offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He shall bring the bull to the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the bull and slay the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is to take some of the blood of the bull and bring it to the tent of meeting, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. The priest shall put some of the blood on the horns um, of the altar of fragrant incense, which is before the Lord in the tent of meeting, and all the blood of the bull he shall pour on the base of the altar, a burnt offering, which is the doorway of the tent of meeting. And then he goes on and gives more specific details. Uh... But the height of the bull, the rest of the bull, da 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 da. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel commits error, of uh, and the matter escapes the notice of the assembly, and they commit any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and they become guilty when the sin of which they committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a bull of the herd for a sin offering and bring it before the tent of meeting. Then the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be slain before the Lord. See what's happening here? This is not just the bull that is run out of camp, like the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. Here the bull has hands laid on them, and then the bull dies. Then the anointed priest is to bring some of the blood of the bull to the tent of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. He shall put some of the blood of the horns on the altar, which is before the Lord of the tent of the meeting. And all the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar, a burnt offering, which is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Remove its things. He gives it more. Uh, then he's to bring out the bull to a place outside the camp and burn it. When a leader sins and unintentionally does any one of all the things the Lord God has commanded not to be done, he becomes guilty. If his sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat 
a male without defect, lay his hand on the head of the male goat and slay it. Again, puts his hands on the goat, symbolizing the transfer of the sin to the goat, and then the goat dies. In the place where they slay the burnt offering before the Lord, it is a sin offering. Then the priest takes some of the blood and the fat and so on. Verse 27, now if any one of the common people sins unintentionally and doing any of the things the Lord commanded not to be done becomes guilty, if the sin which is committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, female without defect. For his sin he's committed, he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering. Again, we see hands laid on the animal and then the animal is to die. The priest shall take some of its blood on his finger and put it on the horns, shall remove its fat, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, what's going on in all of this? Uh, thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regard to the sin which he's been forgiven. Uh, what do we make of all this? Uh, Rob says, could this ignorance or knowledge refer to what the whole Old Covenant and its law signify, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not whether one knows the law or not? Uh, sure doesn't seem like that in, in these texts to me. Uh, it seems like they're ignorant of what was commanded. And remember, if the Jews did their job, if fathers did their job, their sons would grow up knowing the law because they were supposed to tell them. So I don't know. I, I This whole thing is very interesting to me. And we don't find... Uh, we. Peter says, yet David ate the bread from the tabernacle and wasn't executed. Uh, was that a capital offense? Um, that's true. Um, he did eat that. Jesus uses that uh, as uh, one of his points. Um, we now know, and Archer Luck says, the priest shall make atonement. Um, yeah, we now know the full story. David's an interesting case because when he is confronted by Nathan and Nathan calls him out, he tells that uh, little story about the, the poor guy that just had one goat and, and David gets furious and said, that man, you know, is going to pay the price. Uh, remember the, what Nathan says to him, you shall not die. I think that's to tell David According to the law, you should die. There's no offering you can bring for your adultery and your murder. Uh, you should die, but God is not going to execute you, which would be mercy rather than bringing about the, um, the legal requirements of the law. And certainly God has the right to do that. Remember in, uh, in Psalm 51, what, uh, what David writes uh, about that time when he sinned with Bathsheba, he doesn't appeal to the law. He appeals to God's mercy and his loving kindness. He says, you know, if you desired sacrifice, I'd bring it. There, there was no sacrifice he could bring for um, adultery and murder. So I don't know. I've always puzzled over the uh, the unintentional versus intentional and we see this guy here in Numbers who's executed immediately for breaking the Sabbath. Um, what do we do with all that? I don't know. But the writer of Hebrews, 
seems to be saying that when the high priest entered into the Holy of Holies, and I think this has to be the Day of Atonement because that's when he was allowed to go in there, he was offering the blood for himself and for the ignorance of the people is what it says literally. Which would mean there was no offering for the sins of the people that were committed intentionally. Right? So it's fascinating. The bigger picture is clear. All of this was to show sin, to show the holiness of God, to show show these various things. And it was all picture, parable kind of thing, which now Jesus has come and uh, and revealed the fullness of. But I'm still puzzled by some of that uh, unintentional stuff. Oh, our time's gotten away from us. Uh, Dale says, probably why Samuel wasn't having it when Saul tried to diminish uh, his disobedience by saying they were also making sacrifices. Agreed. Um uh, so anyway, if you have more thoughts, uh, put them in the comments uh, on the video. I'd love to love to see them about the unintentional and so on. Uh, tomorrow we'll come back and uh, dig in a little bit further here in chapter nine and uh, see how much more we see about the glory of this new covenant that Christ has brought. Have a great Monday. We'll see you tomorrow, tomorrow Lord willing. Take care.